Welcome to the Hyper Fast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyper fast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyper fast. On this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, I interview Marco Santorelli. He bought his first property, his first investment property at age 18. Since then, he's gone on to build a portfolio of hundreds of rental homes, and he's helped other people do the same. He's also educated thousands. Welcome to the show, Marco. All right. I'm excited to have you on the show today, Marco. Thank you for being here. We've got a ton of great stuff to talk about and you bring such a uh, breadth and depth of knowledge in real estate investing and, and using that really as the vehicle to create wealth. And today I know we're going to get into a lot uh, about different ways to create wealth through real estate, what you're doing to educate people on the topic and a whole bunch of other stuff. So welcome and thanks for being here today. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate being on your show. I'm excited to uh, have a conversation with you and hopefully educate your listeners. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And uh, before we jump in, can you just give the listeners a little bit of a sense of your background and how you got into real estate? I know you started really young and what that progression has been like. Yeah, thanks, Dan. So yeah, my my story is... uh, it's a kind of a somewhat unusual. I just knew at a very early age, probably my early teens, that I wanted to be financially free. I just knew that wealth was the direction I wanted to go. And even though I went to university and got a degree in criminology of all things, um, you know, I just I always had the entrepreneurial bug, and I knew that I wanted to be in business and create create value by helping other people in business. And um, I started off with real estate and then left it and then ultimately came back to it. But people ask me, well, hey, you know, how did you get involved in real estate? Well, my answer is I bought my first rental when I turned 18 years old. Why? Because I could qualify for financing. So I had a part-time job at the age of 16 and I saved up enough money to put that towards a down payment. And that's where they say the writing was on the wall. That first rental led to another rental. And then I got my real estate license. Uh, I don't remember how old I was, but I was probably around the age of 20. And I started selling residential real estate and doing what your, you know, your audience does. You know, we're driving people around in the backseat of our cars, showing them houses, opening doors, trying to get listings, just how you made that business work. That's how I got started in real estate. And, you know, if you fast forward, I just went through trials and tribulations of starting other businesses and failing in other businesses and then ultimately coming full circle back to real estate on a full-time basis. Yeah. What, what an amazing start. I mean, 18 and, and you got your first rental. It sounds like you were planning for that as early as 16. Is that, is that right? With the job and saving money? Like, did you know you were going to, to go that route? An interesting thing happened. I, I think I was probably nine or 10 when I, when it dawned on me that I, wanted that I felt inside I was an entrepreneur and I wanted to pursue the world of investing and creating wealth. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. But as a teen, 
before I could even drive, I would beg my parents to drive me to the bookstore or to other stores to pick up books, tapes. Back then, yeah, literally they were cassette tapes. <laughs> they weren't CDs or anything else. But I was that nerdy kid that was ordering Tony Robbins' Personal Power, Jim Rohn audiobooks, uh, Zig Ziglar, all the greats from the real estate sales era, uh, Tom, Tommy Hopkins and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was gobbling up all that personal development and personal education stuff. Yeah, I, I was a weird kid, but I, I was just focused on not maybe dating <laughs> or playing with like, like the toys that we play with. I was focused on personal development and educating myself and learning what I need to learn to be a good salesperson, a good business person, a good entrepreneur, a good investor. And so by the time I was 16, I probably knew more about real estate investing than, than I'd say 90% of adults. And uh, I just couldn't invest yet. I had to wait until I was 18 to do it. Wow. That's exciting to hear you know, a story of someone who had the drive and the passion to, to really learn and really better yourself at, at such an early age. So my, my hat's off to you for that. And you know, if we've got any young listeners out there, you're, you're never too young to, to start. No, exactly. And yeah, you know, like to your young listeners, I wrote these 10 rules of successful real estate investing. And you know, it's published on both of, of our websites. It's the first thing you see. And my first rule is to educate yourself. You know, it's such a critically important function in, in being successful because you can't expect to be very successful in business or in real estate if you don't invest in yourself first. And knowledge is so critically important. It, it can take you from being just an average person to a good investor and from a good investor to becoming a great investor. And when you take all that knowledge and you put it to work, you can create passive streams of income for yourself and for your family and for your heirs and generations to come. And think about, you know, the legacy you could leave and the role model you could become as, as, as a father or a husband or an investor uh, just by taking the time to educate yourself. And a lot of people don't do this. They, they kind of look for the magic bullet or the fast track or, the, you know, the, the hack or the cheat. But at the end of the day, you have to invest in yourself and build your knowledge. It's the only way to get ahead incompetently. Where do you think now my the kind of the follow on to that would be and I agree you got to you got to educate yourself going into the process or or whatever venture you're going to get into how how do you bridge the gap from education to to execution cuz at some point you got to learn by doing right yeah that's a good question Dan a lot of people fall into the trap of analysis paralysis they think they need to overthink and analyze things to death before they feel confidence to move forward. So that's one trap. The other trap is believing that you need to continually educate yourself to the point where you are an absolute expert and you've built up enough confidence to take the next step, to take actions, to pull the trigger and make things happen. The reality is, is a lot of people overthink that and they think that they need to know a lot more than they actually do. When the reality is, is you just need to start with a foundation of education, of knowledge. And you can do that by reading probably two or three books on real estate investing and or listening to, a, you know, a selection of podcasts like yours right here. Once you have that foundational knowledge built and you know some of the questions you, you, you need to ask, then the next step, and this is the launch pad is to start building the team of people around you that's going to help you and support you because it's, it's, this is a team sport. You're not going to do it by yourself. You have to have 
a team around you. And that includes your acquisitions person. Now, if you're a real estate agent, a real estate broker, and you have access to deals because you happen to be lucky and you're in the right market where the numbers make sense, great. You are your acquisitions person. Or maybe you partner with someone, you become the acquisitions team. Then you have your property management company or your property manager. You have your lender or mortgage brokers that will help you with the financing. You have your asset protection attorney. You have your tax advisor or CPA, um, your title company, et cetera, et cetera. So you build a team around you that will support you and they will be able to ask questions that you may not think about. But you don't need to know everything. You do need to educate yourself. And the thing is, is education never ends. You can start and you continually educate yourself, but you should always be a lifelong student. Like I've been on two cruises with Robert Kiyosaki and very smart guy, very successful investor. But if you look at Robert Kiyosaki, as successful as he is, he owns probably close to 2,000 units of of residential real estate. He's always at the back of the room with a notebook, writing down notes, listening to whoever's speaking, even if he's heard the stuff before and he knows it probably better than the presenter. He's always listening and learning and, and looking for the next thing that he hears that he didn't know, or maybe he knew and and forgot about and needed that kick in the butt. So be a lifelong student, be a perpetual learner, and don't think that you need to know everything to get started. Because if you think that, guess what? Probably not going to start ever or very late in life. Yeah, that's a great observation about Robert Kiyosaki, who, uh, in case anyone doesn't know, he is uh, the guy who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and and you know one of one of the icons when it comes to real estate investing. And and I I, I I saw Tony Robbins actually do the same thing at an event that my wife and I were at a few years ago. There was a guest speaker was up there and he was just ferociously taking notes in a notepad. Like I've never seen someone write as fast as he was. And this was like his one time not on stage for like 12 hours that day. And he must have filled like 30 pages of notes, just like insanely like consuming the information, you know, being taught by, by this guest speaker. So that's, that's, that's a great observation on, on Robert Kiyosaki that like, even when you're at the top of the food chain, the top of your game, there's still an opportunity to, to learn from other people. Always. That's a key point, Dan. You, you hit the nail on the head. No matter how much you know, there's always more that you could know if you want to learn. Uh, you, first of all, knowledge is endless. And second, you don't know what you don't know. So based on that, if you just are open-minded, you keep your eyes open, your ears open, you will always find new ways to do what you're doing better. Or if you look around, you'll find new opportunities open up to you. But if you're not aware and you're not open to new information and learning, these, these opportunities will be there, but you won't recognize it. You won't see it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I like the point you made about building the team around you and you, you listed like six or seven examples and you don't have to become an expert in every part of process in every area. And, and if you do, at some point, you're going to be holding yourself back and your ability to grow. So can, can we talk for a little bit about how you went from the the self-educated teenager who bought a rental property. Like, how did you get from there to where you are now with the team in place, you know, several multifamily properties, educating other investors? Like, like how did you, you start that scaling process and, and, and build out the team that you currently have? 
An interesting thing happened in 2003. This was kind of the turning point. You know how there's different events that happen in everybody's life that takes them on a completely new trajectory. I had come out of a dot-com failure. I was a third co-founder in a dot-com business back in 1998. And we had 105 employees and raised $9.5 million in venture capital funding. And then when the NASDAQ crashed, we were not cash flow positive as were many companies at that time, you know, remember pets.com and companies like that. I mean, these were, these were all companies doomed to fail because they just didn't have a sustainable business model. But when the, uh, the NASDAQ crashed, we had to fold the company down. It took about a year and I was the third last person to leave. Um, but, um, but you know, I coming out of that, I didn't want to go back into corporate America. I didn't want to go back into real estate sales. I didn't want to have a job, like a job. I, I knew I was, I, I was an entrepreneur and I had to find my way. And so I took some time off. I had the you know, fortunate luxury of being able to do that for a period of time. And uh, I got this email in the middle of 2003 from someone who you might recognize, uh, or if you're in the real estate investing space, you might recognize a guy named Robert Allen, Robert G. Allen. And he wrote, some, he wrote about 20 books, but uh, he's well known for his book, Road to Wealth and uh, Nothing Down. You know, he was one of the godfathers of Nothing Down Real Estate. I don't know how I got on that list, but I got an email in the middle of 2003 and said, hey, we're having this free three-day seminar training boot camp type of thing in Orange, California. So I thought, well, I love real estate. I have time on my hands and it's coming up in September, so I'm going to go. So I went and this was an amazing three-day event. The speaker was incredibly knowledgeable and he had you riveted to your seat. You wouldn't get up to go to the restroom until the break because he was just that good. But what's interesting is there was about 2000 people in this ballroom and towards the end of the first day. And of course, over the next two days, they were offering these $15,000, $25,000 and $35,000 boot camps on real estate education around the country. So you'd fly around to these different cities to attend these different boot camps to learn everything from wholesaling to fixing, flipping, and rehabbing and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, I whipped out my credit card, went to the back of the room, signed up, and two major things happened from my decision to do that. Number one, it kicked me in the pants to get back into real estate investing full time. And I lit the ground on fire. So in nine months from that point forward, starting in January of 2004, I had purchased 84 doors, mostly single family homes and duplexes, 84 units uh, in a nine month period. In tandem with that, investors were coming to me early on saying, hey, uh, we're getting the same education and I see what you're doing, but can you help me? Could you mentor me? Could you coach me? And my answer was always no, no, and no. Because I didn't have the time nor the interest to, you know, do one-on-one mentoring and coaching. But I said, hey, what I can do is I look at a lot of deals and I see a lot of deal flow and I underwrite a lot of deals that I'm not buying. I can assign them over to you. And that was how the business was born. The current business here at Norada Real Estate Investments is, is I saw a need, identified a need where people were spending the time and money to educate themselves, but still weren't pulling the trigger. They still didn't know enough or have the confidence to actually take action and identify the properties, analyze them and put them under contract. So I said, well, here, I'll do a lot of that due diligence for you, wrap it in a bow and present them to you. And you can just purchase these turnkey investments right from me. And that's how the business was born. So that's how I transitioned from doing whatever I was doing to getting back into real estate and being able to help other people. Why why do you think other people went to the same classes, boot camps as you consumed the same information, but 
you know, you were able to go out and execute at a high level and they struggled. Like, what, what do you think the difference is there? <laughs> and that's the million dollar question. I, <laughs> I, I'm not sure I actually know the specific answer to that, but I have two guesses. Uh, number one, I think people do like a done with you solution where they want to learn, they want to understand, and they want to participate, but they don't feel confident enough to do it all on their own. And so they want someone to come to them saying, here, you know, I've got 70, 80% of the solution done for you. We've done this research, we've vetted the providers and all this, you know, the people that you're going to be working with. We've cherry picked all these properties. These are ideal investment properties. So here's 80% of it, and we're going to help you do the due diligence and finish the last 20% and basically cross the finish line with it. I think a lot of people want that hand-holding solution. It's, it's, it's no different than someone saying, well, hey, why don't you invest in the stock market directly? Why are you working with a stockbroker or a wealth advisor or a tax advisor or an investment advisor? You know, it's the same reason. They, they could do it on their own, but they're willing or wanting to lean on someone else's expertise that has already been there, done that, bought the t-shirt and has a level of success. So I think that's the number one reason. The number two reason is that uh, people, I think people always have a, an element of fear saying, wow, you know, this is, this is real estate. It's not a, a low ticket item. I don't want to make a mistake. And I'm not exactly sure I, I know what I'm doing, even though I've read like 14 books. So I think the combination of those two things is what keeps us in business. And we're on our 16th year and, you know, we do a lot of transactions. Are you sourcing the deals right right now or, or, or back then and then assign them out or do you close on them and then resell them or like what's what's the business model look like for people that you know, might be interested in in getting properties yep. from you smart question so so we do our model we are a real estate brokerage so our model is a brokerage much like a traditional real estate brokerage however we have you, the uh, the investor buyer, as our client in one hand. And on the other hand, we're dealing directly with our relationships in the 22 markets that we're in. And these are typically new home builders and, um, and professional large-scale property renovators, rehabbers. So they are the sellers and they provide us the inventory. So we work directly with the sellers in one hand and directly with our client investors or buyers, if you will, uh, in the other hand. So uh, think of us as the hub of wheel. And every spoke is somebody that you will need that we vetted, such as mortgage brokers that do nothing but non-owner occupied loans, 1031 exchange companies, title companies, inspectors, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's very much like traditional real estate. Our compensation comes from the sales side of the transaction, just like you know it does in traditional real estate. So that's why we can provide our services at no cost to the investor, the buyer that we work with, because we're compensated on the sales side and we can provide lots of free education and value to you and counseling um, on the buy side. Are you mostly single families now or, or what's what's the investment mix look like or the, or the deal mix look like? Right. The mix is 80% single family homes because that just happens to be the most abundant property type in the United States. And it's, it's, e it's easily found, easy to work with, easy to understand, easy to buy and easy to sell in terms of, you know, within the context of real estate. The other 20% is made up of duplexes and fourplexes. And those are often new construction just because of the environment we have in the United States right now. It's very hard to find, well, even for multi-units, I'm sure you're probably discovering this on your own, but even with small to medium-sized multi-unit properties, they're, it's very competitive. Everybody's chasing after them. They're not overly abundant. So they're much harder to find. So the single families by far is the most 
widely available unit type available. So that's what 80% of our sales are. And are you, is there a certain type of single family home that you focus on or go after? Or like, I know you said you're in 22 markets, but like what kind of, what kind of numbers are, are you looking for on these? And what's, what's the typical single family home deal look like? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question for an investor to ask. And so typically, typically these are three bedroom homes. They're anywhere from one and a half to two baths. That's the average of what we have, but they can range from two to four bedrooms. Now, one question that most investors don't ask is what's the type of neighborhood that it's in? And that's a, a big factor and important factor for me and something we talk about a lot. I talk about that on my podcast. My investment counselors talk to investors about that all the time. We generally stick to what we'll classify as B, B plus, and A minus class neighborhoods. Now, the gamut is really from A plus to D, and then F is an absolute fail, but typically Ds are what we refer to as war zones, and every city has its you know war zone neighborhoods. It's the place you don't want to be, right? Cs are okay, but uh, we try and avoid C class neighborhoods for the most part just because they look great on paper, but the demographic of the tenant that is in a C-class neighborhood is typically a little bit more problematic. You have a little bit more brain damage or your property manager, I was going to say, is going to be more hands-on. They look better on paper. They have higher cap rates, capitalization rates, and cash-on-cash cash returns, but they don't tend to appreciate over time as well as something in an A-class neighborhood. The problem with an A-class neighborhood is that they don't look as good on paper because the cash flows are, are very tight and the cap rates are pretty low, but they tend to appreciate much better and hold their value much better than anything in a, a C-class neighborhood and even to a large degree B-class neighborhoods. What we find is the sweet spot are properties like three-bedroom, two-bath homes, detached homes in your B, B-plus and A-minus neighborhood. That's the best bang for the buck. It's kind of like the sweet spot between appreciation potential and cash flow and cap rates. So that's what we focus on in the 20 some markets that we're in. Hey, that's a great point. We'll get right back to it. But first, I wanted to talk about a problem that so many real estate agents are facing. In fact, nearly 90% of agents are facing this problem. And that's the problem of going out of business. And then most of the ones that do are still struggling. They're struggling to get the results they want. But look, it doesn't have to be that way. I know because it wasn't that way for me. In my first year in real estate, I sold over $22 million in real estate volume. I wrote about it in my best-selling book, The Hyperlocal Hyperfast Real Estate Agent, but I wanted to do something more for the industry. That's why I created the Hyperfast Accelerator Program. Now, I know what you're thinking, not another coaching program, or and I get it. The problem isn't lack of information. The problem is who to actually trust, who to believe, and most professional coaches never even sold themselves. So whether you're selling 10 homes and want to get to 20, or you're selling 20 homes and want to get to 50, we can help, right? We've done it. I've grown my team from 22 million volume to now over 400 million in volume. It's one of the top real estate teams in the country. This is what separates me from most real estate coaches. Like I'm still in the game. What I'm going to teach you in this program is stuff that's actually working today in my business, right? What would your life look like if you sold just one more home a month? If that's something you're interested in, if you want to get those types of results, click on the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash hyperfastcoach and sign up for a free discovery call. And look, we don't take anyone and everyone, right? The problem with most real estate coaches is that they do, right? They try to cater to the masses. So we only take a few people on purpose because we want 
to provide highly strategic, individualized, personalized service to help you get the type of results you want and achieve your goals. Click on the link below, sign up for a free discovery call, and I'll see you soon. Let's peel the onion back a little bit more. What, what kind of cap rates are you, are you typically getting on these, on these B and A minus properties? So in 2020, <laughs> this year we are, we're seeing cap rates range from 6% to 8% as just kind of a general rule of thumb. It really is market specific and neighborhood specific. We will see cap rates on some properties that are as high as 9% and sometimes they actually touch 10%. Those are more of the eighty dollars to $100,000 properties. But as a rule of thumb, bank on 6 to 8% as a cap rate. And then when you put 20% down and you apply financing or leverage to those properties, you can see those cash on cash returns jump up to 8 to 10 to 12%. It really is, again, market specific. And let me give you an example of that. If you look at the three markets that we're in in Alabama, which is Huntsville, Montgomery, and Birmingham, Properties there are going to range from eighty to about one hundred and forty, hundred fifty thousand dollars for a three-bedroom home in a B-class neighborhood. Those are going to kick off typically anywhere from seven to ten percent cap rates, and then you know with leverage, you're going to have your cash-on-cash returns that are going to be probably eight percent and above. But when you look at a market like Jacksonville or let's say parts of Kansas City, parts of Indianapolis, Chicago, maybe not so much Chicago, you're going to find properties are going to be in the range of about. 130 to 180, 130 to 180,000 for, again, a nice, good size three bedroom, two bath home. Um, however, those are going to be in nice neighborhoods with stronger appreciation potential. Definitely got, they have good, good stability, but initially they don't look as sexy on paper because you've got lower cap rates and your cash flows are still good, but relatively speaking, they won't outperform the Alabama properties in the first year or two, but over time, they will outperform them appreciation and equity-wise. Yeah, now there's certainly like a lot of variety, and like we see that in our market, like in the really good parts of Arlington and DC, like the cap rates are as low as 4%. And um, if you get in the outskirts or some other places or up some areas of Baltimore, then you, you can touch double digits. <laughs> so you're, you're experiencing an issue there in your market, like what we have here in Southern California and what you actually see pretty commonly in much of the coastal markets in the United States. And that is that property values or price, I should say, property prices have gone up so much that the markets become expensive, they become unaffordable, the, the affordability rate drops. And what we find is that prices appreciate faster than the rent. So the rents actually trail behind. And there's this rule of thumb or this metric we use, it's called the RV ratio or the rent to value ratio. You could also call it the rent to price ratio. And what that means simply is this, if you have a property that's $100,000, I use that because math is simple. And by the way, we have a lot of $100,000 properties in decent neighborhoods. You ideally want that $100,000 property to rent for $1,000 per month. So that's a 1% RV ratio. If you are in a market where you've got a million dollar property, let's say you know the DC area, in an ideal world, you want to have that rent for $10,000 a month. Again, 1% of the yeah, value not, or the you're price. not getting that here. <laughs> no, you're not. And my guess is that the market you're in is probably like Southern California. You're about 0.4%, meaning that property will rent for about 4,000 plus or minus 500 bucks. 
Yeah, probably forty five hundred to five thousand, maybe. maybe. So yeah, yeah. range. Yeah, so there you are. You're in that 0.4, 0.5% RV range. Where So that doesn't work from an investment perspective. And if you do think that you're a smart investor and you're going to buy that even with a 0.5% RV ratio because you, you believe you're going to make it up in terms of appreciation, you're going to give up on the cash flow, maybe have negative cash flow, but you're going to make it up on the equity growth through appreciation. Well, then I would call you a speculator. You know, you're, you're borderline a gambler because... Yeah, markets do appreciate. And over time, they certainly do because of inflation. But the reality is, is if you're chasing appreciation, if you're hoping the value or the price goes up, it may, it may not, and it might for the next year or two. But the thing is, is markets are cyclical. They, they will appreciate and they also depreciate, especially as affordability gets low and or interest rates go up and or the economy suffers because unemployment is increasing. I mean, these are dynamics, macroeconomic factors you cannot control. And so property values change. But if you're banking on your investment being a capital appreciation, a capital gain, such as appreciation, well, then you're speculating. And I don't believe that you should speculate. In fact, my third rule of my 10 rules is to never speculate. You shouldn't be a speculator and chase after appreciation. It, you will get it. It will come. It happens organically because of inflation. And then, you know, if you're in a high demand market, those, those drivers of population growth are going to push prices up as well. But don't try to get in when you're late in a cycle. You're not necessarily at a top of a, of a local market cycle, but you're getting there. And thinking that you're going to continue to have two, three, four, five more years of strong growth or price growth, that may not happen. There's no guarantee of that. So don't be a speculator. Don't gamble in real estate. Invest for cash flow, but intelligently invest so that way you have the cards stacked in your favor to gain the equity as, as time goes on. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Like you, you, you shouldn't plan on having negative cash flow and, and hoping that you get the appreciation and, and, you know, we, we definitely see that in our market, the, the price to, to rent ratios, like, like you described and, you know, the way we approach investments is like, if we acquire this property, can we improve the value by, by doing a build or getting more density or something in it that it, it's going to give us the opportunity to take advantage of those higher prices by, by, improving it because it makes the improvement go up by the, by that much more of a multiple. But if, if you were going to just, if your plan was just to hold it and have negative cash flow while the price prices go up, then you know, I, I think you should probably look at other markets for, for <laughs> cash flow or, or a different strategy. Right. Yeah. If, if you want to be an active real estate investor and take the active approach and, and build value, create value, meaning that you are taking a property over that needs work and you can improve it or is poorly managed. And this is the case with multifamily units where they are undermanaged or poorly managed and you can add value, meaning add, uh, add to the market value of that property by improving the management, by improving the operations, by cutting expenses, uh, by increasing rents. Great. That, that's a value add approach. And that works very well when you find the right deal. But some people don't have the knowledge or the expertise to do that. And some people don't have the time to do that. So it's really not even an option. The other alternative is to be a passive real estate investor uh, and be more passive where you are buying into cash flow in quality property in good neighborhoods that don't need work, 
but have that cash flow, the rates of return, and the appreciation potential. Uh, so that way, over the next year, two, three, five, seven, ten years, you're gaining the accumulated cash flows plus the equity growth from appreciation and, of course, the amortization of the loan. Uh, that's a more passive approach. That that model works well. It's proven. Uh, it works time and time and time again. It's just buying right properties in the right markets. So both of those models work. It's just you need to ask yourself as and be honest with yourself. Do I want to be an active real estate investor? Do I want to be a passive real estate investor? And when, when you make that decision, become an expert at it. Just choose to follow that path and improve yourself you know, constantly. Um, and you will be very, very successful in a very short period of time. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's two, different, two different approaches and you got to focus on, on your lane. You brought up management a couple times there and... And I think uh, you know, a natural question would be, given that you're a single family guy, and you know, I know tons of people that have crushed it doing doing the single family model, and I, I also know some people that have done really well with you know multifamily, like getting sixteen or thirty or even more you know doors under one building, and they're always touting that they can kind of consolidate the management. So how do you approach the management of having multiple single family homes, for, for either for yourself or for your investors? Like how, how do you, what's your approach to, to managing a portfolio of single family homes? With very few exceptions, we, we as, as a company, my team and I don't recommend that you manage your own properties unless you really know what you're doing. You're seasoned, you know how to deal with people, you understand the tenant landlord laws, you are, and you enjoy, you know, dealing with tenants and, and collecting rents and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not saying don't manage your own properties, but 99% of the time, you probably won't and shouldn't. And especially if your properties are, are out of market or out of state, meaning that they're not local to you. I always suggest you focus on your career, your business, spend time with your family, enjoy your hobbies, travel, do all those kinds of things and not be involved in the month-to-month or day-to-day operations of managing your properties. So what's the solution? How do you manage your properties? The answer is pretty simple. In any, in any market, particularly you know medium to large size markets, you're going to have many, if not dozens of professional, full-service local property management companies. And that's exactly how we do it. I mean, we'll, we'll have two to three professional, full-service property management companies in all the markets that we operate in. Every property that we sell is tied to one of those management companies. So they're already under management and often they're already leased cash flowing, performing and, and under management. So you're just taking over a performing asset. But if you've got a portfolio of properties where you're just getting started and you're building that up, then what you do is you find yourself, you know, do your due diligence and vet the property managers in the market you're investing in and put your properties under management with one of those highly recommended, you know, sourced management companies. There's many of them out there. You just have to do a little bit of due diligence, but let the professionals do it. I call property management a thankless job. Do you really want to be doing property management? More often than not, you don't. And at the end of the day, you know, that 8%, 9%, 10% is a cost of doing business. It's already baked into the cake. You've already forecasted and budgeted for it. It's just one of your operating expenses. So if you're trying to be cheap and save that, well, you know, you might be very short-sighted. You might be taking on more work, especially if you value yourself 
at more than that eight, nine, 10% you're paying your property manager, if your time is worth $100 an hour, $500 an hour, whatever you know you, you value yourself at, well, it's a lot cheaper to pay a, a professional management company to manage your property at 80 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, whatever it is, than it is for you to spend the time managing your own properties. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a ton to figure out and a ton of things that can go wrong. And you know, you got to deal with tenants, deal with repairs, collect the rent, know know the rules, know the regulations and the laws. And and even if you can get through all of that and you know, it comes down to the end of like how much is your time worth and, and time with family or improving yourself so that you can make more money or you know, whatever your hobbies are. I mean, it's just you're paying with your time. You know, or you're paying with with money that kind of should be baked into the to the pro forma, you know, of of the the, the property or of the asset. So I I and, and in a lot of states too, if if you're out of state, a lot of states actually the the rule is you you have to have a registered agent or someone else. So, you know, it's, it's different in every state, of course, but no, a lot of them sort of strongly require that. So I, I definitely yeah, recommend it. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm going to take that one one step further. You you, you know, you mentioned uh, you know having that on your pro forma, and you just made me think. You know, two things that you definitely want on your pro forma. I mean, you, you're going to budget for these anyway, but a lot of investors make the mistake of skimping or omitting two things that make their numbers look better, and it makes the investment look better. But this is a mistake. And number one is you always want to budget on your pro forma, a vacancy allowance or a vacancy factor, even though the property may be 100% occupied and then you're in a great location that's occupied all the time, you still want to budget four or five, even as much as 8% on the vacancy, even though it's not there, but budget for it. Because in time, you're going to have a turnover. Your tenant will move out. You'll have another tenant move in and you're going to have a little bit of downtime. So budget for that. And the other thing you want to also factor in into your projections or performance are maintenance and repairs. And again, four to 5% or as much as 8%, depending on you know the age of the property and other things, other factors, but at least have four to 5% vacancy and four to 5% minimum for maintenance and repairs. Because Things will come up, things will break, things wear down, and you're going to have to deal with those. So you're being honest with yourself and you're getting yourself a true net cash flow number when you actually factor those things in. And it, it would be better in all cases to over project what those costs will be, vacancy and repairs, and, and then come in under, right? And be more profitable than, than find yourself like taking on a deal that now is too thin and it isn't cash flowing because, you know you didn't budget for it and project it. So that's, that's a great point. And uh, kind of leads into my next question, actually, because you, you're providing so much value, so much education to the listeners here today. And I know a big part of what you do, a big part of your mission is to, to help people, educate people, train people on how to, how to build wealth through real estate. How are you doing that specific? What are the different ways people can get educated and trained uh, by, by you and your team? Well, the things we do to help uh, educate people is what's become kind of our, our lead educating piece, if you will, is, is our podcast. I've only, I've only, I say only in quotes, I've only been doing it for five, five years, <laughs> but, but our podcast, which is called Passive Real Estate Investing, is, is really a great resource. And it's very 
it's very strategic and tactical at the same time, but it's all about information that you need as a, as a, as a person to invest in real estate and be successful and what to know, what to look for, the pitfalls to avoid. But podcast has been a great educational platform, but we, you know, we, we do a lot of market research. We publish a lot of the information we come up with on different markets. Not, we're not in all those markets, but you know, we, we analyze a lot of markets, expensive ones, cheap ones, middle of the road ones, whatever it may be. We track 405 markets across the US or what I call MSAs or metropolitan statistical areas. Between our blog and the articles we publish, the downloadable free guides and reports that we publish, the upcoming book that's coming out, which is going to be given out for free. It'll be a, a full-size book, um, but we're, we're going to, I'm going to, I've chosen to give it away for free. The podcast uh, interviews that we do, like on your great show here, Dan, that, that's really how we're reaching out and, and educating people. And you know, if I'm invited to speak at events, I'll go in and speak at events. So all that, we don't charge for that education. It's just, I want to put it out there because I want people to know what they should know and avoid the mistakes that I've made, many of them costly in the past. So if I can prevent you from doing that, you know, then it's a good thing. Where do people go if they want to learn about these programs or, you know, download your the guides or, or any of the things you just mentioned? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Uh, so we have two websites and everything can be found on those two. The sister website, which is the home of the podcast is PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. It's just all one word, PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. And that's the name of the podcast. The uh, core website, the main website that we post, not all, but a lot of our properties at any given time is noradarealestate.com. Uh, some people ask me, how do you spell Norada? N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com. And those are the two sites where we publish and post everything. All right. Well, before we wrap up here today, this has been great so far, by the way, Marco. But before we wrap up, I want to do the hyper fast round. Just got a couple questions for you. Uh, rapid fire and, and just give us your, your best, uh, quickest answer. Are you ready? Okay. All right. What is your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? Take action by far. You know, everybody, I, I don't know if you want just a quick answer or if you want me to explain it, but people educate themselves and they don't, they don't pull the trigger and take action. Yeah, I agree. You got to take action. What is the biggest challenge you've faced? as a real estate investor and how'd you overcome it? Deal flow. Sometimes you're spinning your wheels and you just don't know where to look. And that's why you know you want to build your team around you and do research. But if you have the right team, you'll know where to invest and find the right deals. What's your biggest piece of advice to a seasoned real estate investor? So someone who's been doing it for a while, has done a ton of deals, Like, what would you tell that person? Analyze how much equity you have because that dormant idle equity you have could be leveraged into a much larger portfolio that produces more cash flow and uh, it eliminates risk and increases the wealth creating potential of your portfolio. So that's that's the guy who bought the properties, rented it for years, the value has gone up, mortgage has gone down and, and basically get the cash out of there to, to do more deals. Yeah, exactly. Some people are equity rich and cash flow poor, especially people in your market and my market here. You know, they're sitting on a ton of equity and it's, and the return on equity is exactly zero. So if you can redeploy that equity into other property or larger properties, you can do this tax free, by the way. It's called a 1031 exchange. If you can reposition that equity and build your portfolio, increase your cash flow and minimize the risk and you have no downside, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, this is something we're doing a lot right now because people have have gained so much equity in some of their properties that, that it's the right time to actually uh, take that equity out of harm's way and, and grow your portfolio and increase your cash flow. Yeah, that's that's a great piece of advice. Thank you. Last one, where do you see yourself in 10 years? 
I will still be doing what I'm doing today, helping people build their real estate portfolios, creating wealth, creating passive income, putting them on the path to financial freedom. So that's, that's, this is what I, I'm passionate about and what I love to do. So I'll still be doing this. Awesome. Uh, Marco, I enjoyed our time. You provided a ton of value. Uh, before we sign off, I know you mentioned the two websites earlier, but just can you, can you remind the listeners of, of, of that and any other way that you know you, you prefer to be contacted if people want to get in touch with you on, on, on social media or, or, or whatever your preference is there? Yeah, I appreciate you asking again, Dan. Thank you so much. Really, just everything as far as contacting my team and myself is all on our website. So again, those two websites are noradarealestate.com, N-O-R-A-D-A. And uh, the sister website and the home of our podcast is PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. All right, guys, check it out. PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. And remind me of the second one, Narada. You got it. NoradaRealEstate.com. NoradaRealEstate.com. <laughs> PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Thank you, Marco. This has been amazing. You provided a ton of value and, and a ton of education and it was exciting to have you on the show and exciting to see what you're doing and how you're helping so many other people. Well, I appreciate you inviting me on, Dan. Thank you so much. And you too. Keep up the great work and uh, build this podcast. I love it. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.